0: Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Build Your Network podcast, the only top-rated show committed to helping you grow your business, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Let's get into the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today is a midweek mashup episode. For those of you who are not familiar with the show, the midweek mashup is our opportunity to look into the archives and find some really great past guests talking about one particular topic. So today we're talking about how to care for yourself. Okay. So we brought on three experts to talk to you about how to care for yourself. The first one would be Dr. Nicole LaPera. She has an amazing story from clinical psychology work to now social media and online programs. Uh, her brand is absolutely exploded, but it's steeped in actual research. And again, not just somebody who's just like claiming to be a guru for the sake of claiming to be a guru. She's somebody that actually has Formal training and these types of things and uh, brings some tremendous insight and is one of my uh, favorite, especially mental health professionals to follow on social media. So make sure you give her a follow as well. So, Dr. Nicola Perez, number one. Let me bring in Lori Harder. She's the host of Earn Your Happy, a massive podcast uh, with a really big audience. And she talks a lot about mental health and physical health uh, over there on the show and has a fantastic brand overall. Just really great person, fun person to be around. And this is one area that I genuinely respect her and appreciate her insight. And uh, and thoughts about so uh, Lori Harder is the second person, and then lastly would be Jefferson Bethke. Uh, Jeff Bethke is uh, in the Christian world and uh, is a Christian author. Wrote this book called "To Hell with the Hustle," and he talks a lot about hustle culture and how chasing these things and not giving yourself time, and room to breathe, and 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 uh, and space to care for your mental health can be really devastating over a long period of time. So. Uh, We thought that this would be a really fitting episode to bring Jeff's perspectives back into the episode. And so if you're listening, please enjoy this episode on how to take care of yourself with Jeff Bethke, Dr. Nicole LaPera, and Lori Harder. The reason for this show is basically to say, you know, our environment is what shapes us into who we're supposed to be. The people we hang out with, the things we watch, the things we consume, all those types of things. But the one thing that a lot of, like most people agree with that, right? Your environment shapes you, creates you but a lot of people don't take ownership of the fact that you have the ability to control your environment. So ultimately, it's in your control what shapes you. Because if you can control your environment and your environment shapes you, then you need to take purposeful action to set your environment up in a way that's going to make you the person that you want to become or turn you into the type of person that you want to be more of, or just allow you to be who you really are and, and, uh, and then find people who resonate with that version of you. Because I think that I think that's what I think that's what a lot of people go throughout life, just kind of searching for this thing because their only iteration of who they are is the version that everybody else told them that they should be for the first twenty five years of their life, and uh, they never took the time to sit down and figure out who am I, and then how do I find an environment of people and things and culture and content to, to like help me be more of who I am.
1: I just want to speak to a point you said, too, because I think it's really important and why I call this movement self-healing. We all want to change in relationship to others, though, in my opinion, the change really does come within. So changing the relationship we have with ourselves, right, with even our physical bodies, our emotional bodies, and then how we express that self to others really does begin from the inside out. So while I say we change in relationship, the work also begins internally, where we begin to just show up differently for the first relationship we have, which is with ourselves, And then that translates outward.
0: Love it. I got to ask you this question, Nicole, because it's the kind of the staple question of the show. I've asked every guest that's ever come on and with your background being heavy in education, but then also the conversation we just had about community and people, I'm curious to hear your answer here. Um, Who you know or what you know? Which of those two do you view as being the real asset in life and why?
1: Interesting question. So I was hesitant to say what you know, because I believe, again, that bridge between what we know and how do we live in action. So I think that there's limit. I think it's maybe a combination of both, which would be my answer. Because the whoms we know can be a very positive, right, source of creation in our life and can also be the point in which we're, we're, we're really stuck. So I think it's when we harness both, uh, when we become knowledgeable of ourselves and how we relate to others so that we can create change possibly in the whom we knows. Um, that we really do set ourselves up to live consciously. That's what my goal here is. Um, For some of us, that means creating change. And for some of that just means harnessing what is actually existent in our life, possibly the whom we knows in a new way to create change in our future destination.
0: Can you tell us a story, just kind of pulling through the archives of your brain for a second, about maybe a time where you met somebody that you had no idea how big of a relationship would end up being, but you, you know, you met somebody through somebody, or you coincidentally met somebody at this event, and it turned into a partnership, or it turned into a huge piece of advice that you implemented, or this big story. Like, is there any examples that you have thinking back of you know something that that you didn't really think anything of it at the time, but it ended up turning into this big you know, opportunity or situation that, that impacted your life positively?
1: In terms of a person, um, I have a piece of advice. So I want to answer this in one way because I took a piece of what someone told me at a time that it registered to some extent, though really. Um, I embody it now and then I'll, I'll, I'll share quickly a person. So the, the theme that I learned actually was delivered to me through a supervisor, a clinical supervisor. And that person said something very simple to me. um, And it was actually around anxiety. So something I had very intimate relationship with. I imagine I was talking to the supervisor about maybe a client that also too had anxiety. Long story short, um, this supervisor urged me at that time, knowing that I had my own experience with anxiety for me to never, assume what I imagine the client means So the example was if you have a client sitting in front of you Nicole and they say I'm anxious don't just allow your brain to map on your version of anxiety for that person ask and and obviously the suggestion then followed you ask directly oh anxiety means something for everyone Janet what does your version mean so in that really little moment I've revisited that so much because for me that highlighted a very important part that's very in, in part of my work now which is the subjectivity of all of us. We're all assigning meanings. We're all viewing the world through filters, typically ones that are colored by our past experiences um, that are also coloring than our current experiences and our relationships, keeping us trapped in that past. So that's something I revisit often. Um, and I've incorporated now into my daily life, always reminding myself that you're subjective and I'm subjective. I'm constantly coloring everything that's happening. So the more I can expand and create space and make choices right now, instead of just allowing whatever perception I've been applying to all of these situations, then I can allow myself to create change. So that was really impactful. And I carry that one with me. The person I think that, that really, you know, that really kind of shifted things for me is, is my current partner. Um, when her and I met, we were both in some very early stages of awakening, if you will, realizing from a trajectory, a long history on both of our ends of relationships that didn't work. Um, we both showed up to this new relationship space with the conscious intention that we wanted to do things differently and we wanted to grow and change in evolution. This was our idea of partnership. And at the time, you know, we were both caught in a lot of habits and patterns that weren't serving either of us. Um, we were very opposite in a lot of those habits and patterns, causing as a lot of us do, you know, points of, of eruption. Um, but the reason why I point her out is for two reasons. One, not only was she the person who we became conscious and really, you know, explored ourselves and created change both personally and as a couple together. She is a person who before I could, she saw a self in me, a person in me, a future person in me, if, if you will that i actually fought tooth and nail against um, mm. caused a lot of conflict early on you know she would see things and call into question my limiting beliefs things that i would tell her i can't do you know stop saying that that's not who i am and she always held space for the possibility that it was mm. and as much as i wanted to knock her out her name is lolly in the beginning of this journey because it challenged me and and it was very difficult to to have that space held um, because all I knew of myself was not that person. Mm, Um, That was the most challenging in my opinion, though. That is what I now hope to offer others. I hope to be the person that's holding space for a future that's different. Even if you don't believe it yourself in whatever area, business, your personal life, your relationships, she held that space for me. She allowed me to walk into and to create that future self for myself. And in my opinion, like I said, that was so incredibly impactful. And talking about relationships as well, a lot of people in our lives hold on to older versions because that's all they know of ourselves. We hold on to older versions of ourselves. so again, wrapping back around to, to what Lolly offered me, continues to offer me. And now what I hope to offer people is that message of empowerment, that space to question, to wonder if a future can look a little different.
0: How can we ask ourselves those types of questions in a healthy type of a way? I don't know. Let me, let me kind of expound on what this question is because um, what you just said is highly impactful. And uh, I think that it, it uh, gives people the room to change things about themselves that they don't like or things about themselves that that might be blocking them from becoming the ultimate version of who they see themselves to be uh, but a lot of times it can be really difficult or scary to think about changing in a big way so uh, when when i ask that question i'm saying like how can we question who we are now without losing touch with reality because i think there's a, a a line almost where some people go overboard and then that's when that's when they become like this version of themselves that can't even function in society because they lose touch with reality and view change as this, you know, crazy, you know, does that make sense? I, like, the, without stepping over the line, how do we helpfully question who we are now to make a better future? I hope that question makes sense.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I, I want to begin to answer this question by acknowledging quite universally that us humans don't like change. We actually evolutionarily are, are wired to stay within those familiar bounds, stay within those familiar neural pathways, because to our subconscious, which directs our daily happenings from our thoughts to our feelings and our behaviors, 95% of our time, to our subconscious, something that is new could be possibly life-threatening. So we have an evolutionary desire to stay within those familiar bounds, which is why when change is either created for us, like we're all living now with 2020, our lives look drastically different, we had no choice, so when we actually believe we want to change, right, we, we create the intention to do something different. What happens for most of us is we feel that instinctual pull back to the familiar. We I term it resistance. We either get the litany of reasons why in our minds not to do things, we feel uncomfortable. And before we know it, we're right back there to our old habits and patterns. So I speak of this and I'm offering this here because I know that you know, that, that return to things that aren't working, especially for those of us that are insightful, that are aware, can be one of the most frustrating, even shameful experiences. So I just want to acknowledge change is universally difficult. It's incredibly helpful, that same kind of pivot mindset that we were talking about earlier, when we talked about our goals, having a healthy awareness of that which is, right? Being honest with ourselves is part of it, seeing ourselves clearly, right? Not delusionally painful honesty, observing and witnessing the habits and patterns that aren't serving me, the less than shiny parts, my shadow, all of the things that maybe I was told to hide or to repress. Allowing that to come up into consciousness can be incredibly uncomfortable, which is why maybe some of us overcompensate in a different direction. So it's that balance, right? We have to make space to be really honest with what's there. And so whether all of the discomfort that comes along with seeing very consciously and clearly that which is, and then also creating the opportunity to create a future that's different. So it's that pivot point still, acknowledging what's here and maybe what brought me here while having a healthy awareness of where it's possible for me to go. And a lot of times, like I said, we overcompensate, we get uncomfortable and we don't really want to see. And those habits, the ways that we have avoided for so long worked for, for, for to some extent, at least thus far.
0: How do you think people change? Like what's the number one instigator of change? Especially when it comes to your belief in who you are. Like you you're, you the way that you see yourself, the who you believe yourself to be because ultimately regardless of intrinsic truth, right? We are who we perceive ourselves to be because all that really matters is our perception of who we are. So, how can we Like, how does someone start to make change in the belief that they have about themselves? I guess is what I'm asking.
1: I believe the foundation for change is consciousness, is seeing that which is there, is creating the space between my old habits and my old patterns, is becoming aware. I believe that no change happens without that because what happens is we go back, right, quite instinctively into that autopilot. So creating, for many of us, it's it's a new habit of being conscious to ourselves each and every day, of showing up as the witnesser, as the person who can begin to make new choices is where change begins. We don't change because most of us, we have insight from that very conscious part of our mind. We plan to do better at this future time, but by the time that future time gets here, I'm right back into that comfort of that familiar, into those autopilot patterns And I'm not actually able to execute the change. So you'll hear me talk on and on about the importance of becoming foundationally a conscious being, one who's present to myself, one who's in my physical body. I mean, these sound like very simplistic things, maybe to some listeners, though they are the farthest thing from simplistic. They're an action of reconnecting for many of us with my body that at one time might not have felt safe, learning how to regulate my body and my emotional system. Learning how to be present to what's happening now so that I can create a new choice. All of that comes with practice. Um, That is, in my opinion, the foundation for which change happens. So that begins by exploring how conscious of a being are you or aren't you? Set an alarm for random times during your day. And when that alarm on that cell phone goes off, check in with where your attention is. Where are you? Are you fully present to what's at hand? Are you lost in thought? Are you somewhere else? Chances are, if you're like me, you're going to fall into that latter category, giving you an opportunity to practice being conscious, tuning in. What can I smell? Touch, taste. Can I focus on my breath? Can I be here in this moment? And then can I repeat that moment time and time again so that I'm spending more time conscious with choice than in my autopilot? So
2: I think all of us know there's something really big. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think that we're obviously always setting up these little markers of like getting to that bigger thing. So for me, training was just a part of it. Opening a studio was just a part of it. But when I was doing the studio, I did think that that might've been kind of the ultimate was growing this studio, right? I was like, okay, well, what do you do now that you have a studio? Okay, well, maybe you get a bigger space and then maybe you franchise the spaces and maybe you grow that. And I realized really quickly for me, my answer was not to do that because I was in there, I was working with these women, and every single day it's like I'd be training these women and putting them through workouts and telling them how to eat, but none of it ever mattered if we didn't change their beliefs. So, right away for me, I was seeing myself in all of them um, and really recognizing, wow, I could really just kind of stop training them. Like, I had women that would come in and be like, could we not train today? And can we just talk?
0: I was like, really? Um,
2: no, we can't do that. Yeah. But I'll talk to you while we train.
0: Right? Maybe some other time.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay. So I could start to. I started to see that I had a gift of giving them the space and moving them through kind of these limiting beliefs, and for them, that was paying off more than the training was because they were getting more results through just kind of learning how to move through the rest of their life and not rely so much on training and food to change their life or think that they needed this image to be who they wanted to be. So I was like, wait a minute, there is something here. Like my programs need this mindset piece. And when I started to incorporate this and really work on this myself, because I was finding if I wasn't working on me, I could only take them so far. I could only take them to where I was at. So I had to, you know, not only be growing myself, um, and investing in myself, but this is what I would need in order to help grow them. So that really, for me became this moment of wait a minute, this is, I am enjoying this way more than even the physical training part or teaching about food. Like I'm actually not that interested in that. I think it's a foundational Piece, but I am way more interested in the mindset piece because none of this even works, nor does it have anywhere to like sit if you don't have uh, the mental piece. Right. So that's when I started to just want to dive into personal development, and I thought, what can I do from here? Wow, I can really you know create an event. I could take this online. I could write a book. I could do all of these other things. So that's where I realized this other this other thing. And at the time, that was not popular. Like, who was I to think that I could just be this fitness person and become a personal development person? Like, I then this belief around I need a license, I need to be a psychologist, I need to do this. So I tried (laughs) to stop myself again. And then I was like, wait a minute, I have like these massive life results from doing nothing to creating all of this stuff. Like, how am I doing this? This is just practical tools that I'm using. I could teach practical tools, right? So that's really when I started to switch
0: gears. Got it, got it. So so at along this whole timeline here, Lori, where where did you and Chris meet? And then how did isogenics play into this whole picture?
2: So Chris and I met at a gym uh, when I was twenty one. And I was not into it because I was, I was still in love with someone else. And I had just moved home after being on my home for like three years. And I got myself into um, some serious debt in a bad situation with really bad roommates um, who were making keys for all of their friends, not paying rent anymore. So I was paying the rent the last few months. And I was like, I've got called my dad. I was like, Hey, I I need to come home. I need to make some money. I need to get out of this situation that's going on here. He didn't tell my mom what was going on basically because, you know, be, having a religious background, my mom still thought that it was all, everything was all good. And and things were not happening outside of that um, <laughs> that were right. not mm-hmm. you know, in line with, with, that, uh, with the religion. So he's like, okay, just come home. You can work with me. So he does kitchens and bathrooms. And I had worked with him uh, before when I was a teenager. And so I went back to installing kitchens and bathrooms with my dad. Mm. And I was going to just pay, like I was going to save money, pay rent in my other apartment While I lived with my parents and also save money, but just to be out of the situation. So I was not a happy camper. Like I moved from. Yeah, that makes sense. um, (laughs) I was very unhappy. Like, you know, I went back to having a nine o'clock curfew, having to act like I was somebody else because, you know, I just, the beliefs were completely different at this point. Mm -hmm. And I met Chris at the gym and did not have plans to stay in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I had moved from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is a much bigger city. And I thought that I just knew everything about the world after seeing this (laughs) smaller city in Wisconsin. And I I, I meet him and he, he, unfortunately, he was just a victim of really bad timing. Um, I had had, because it was a small town and they never see new girls there, I had had two other guys hit on me right before that. (laughs) And I was like, where am I? Like, this does not happen to me. Like, this never happens. So what is going on here? he was the third one in like 30 minutes and I was like that's it I can't like be at this gym so he comes up and he's like hi and I'm like hi <laughs> and I was like bye <laughs> so- <laughs> so he immediately thought I was rude because I just oh, couldn't. Man. I was like, I was in a bad place. I just wanted to be there and work out and make money. And I was like, what is going on? So, anyhow, that's how I met Chris. And we ended up finally, I see him at the gym over and over. And I'm like, this guy's really nice. He's, he seems like he's got great intentions. So I went up and introduced myself to him. Um, we became friends. We just started talking and, and hanging out and being friends. And he was this person that. Like, I could just talk to and laugh with, and I didn't have anyone there. And it was, it was this amazing relationship where when I didn't have this intention or these expectations, it was like the first time in my life without any of those things. It's incredible at what you can connect over. Yeah. And he just had this brilliant, he was a brilliant business person and also just so uh so full of life and interested in life and interested in more than just even where we were at like he was a dreamer and i was a huge dreamer too so we connected over that and we were probably friends for like six months and then it turned more into a romantic relationship
0: wow so (laughs) this is something so you guys have been together for quite a long time then yeah uh 16 years (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's, that's a while okay so so I, I had Chris on the show so for those of you listening um Chris uh, Harder was I think episode number 44 of uh Build Your Network and he did a fantastic job and we had a great time on the show as well and he was talking a little bit more about um what was going on in his life during all this time with the whole mortgage crisis and and all that kind of stuff and then uh you during all of this that that he was going through started working um so you were already doing personal training i assume at that point Mm -hmm. and then you started working with isogenics and then you brought him on what was that whole timeline how did that transition happen
2: oh when did that so we're like the thing about chris and i is we we struggle with timelines timelines so stay with me here so let me see how
3: old all right
2: like some people are numbers people and he and i are like i don't know was that three years ago people are like that was like six years ago (laughs)
3: whatever
2: um (laughs) so i think we found isogenics when i was God, I want to say it was 28. Like, so I think it was like two, hold on, let me think. 2008, 2009, I think it was 2008. So I had, he had lost his job. Mm -hmm. Um, I had had to start that studio. Mm -hmm. I was, I wanted to be a, like a fitness celebrity, a fitness mentor, like a fitness icon. Like that was the big goal. Okay. And I was training in, I started that private studio. I was training down there. And one of my clients, um, knew that this was my, my dream. And I also was at this point where I was really struggling with fitness competitions. I competed for, I think about four years at this point. And I I had placed really well in the beginning and then it just went downhill because I got really extreme with the diet. And um, with that, with the extreme dieting, I ended up um, also putting on weight and my body was just like shutting down. And I'd gone to a competition where I, it was kind of like this moment from my coaches of like, you need to do really well here. Like, it's just, you know, your time. And I ended up doing terrible. Like I almost placed in the last, like, it was like 50 something place going from like placing in, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth to like 50th place. And I just was miserable. I felt awful. My body was like massive backlash. It was not responding. I didn't, Feel good. My hormones were totally out of whack. And I came home and I had shared with this client who I became close to. Like, I just, I I don't think this is it. I'm miserable. I'm depressed. I think I'm going to be done like competing. I I feel like a hypocrite, like Mm. trying to tell people how to live their life. And I'm over here wrecking my soul and my body. And She's like, okay, I, you know, you know that I use this product, like you should just give it a try. I think it'd be huge for you. I think that it could really help reset you. And she told me about it for like six months, but it wasn't until I hit rock bottom that I was open to it. So I started using it and I'm not kidding you, like three days later, I I felt like a completely different person because number one, my body was getting totally different nutrition. Number two, it was actually getting nutrition. I wasn't eating the same damn thing over and over and over again. I mean, you guys, at this point I was eating like chicken and mustard and like plain broccoli, like every single meal. And then I was binging on the weekends. So Mm -hmm that's not working. That's an eating disorder. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I had, I had to break the cycle. Like I completely had to break the cycle and find something that actually fueled me for a while until I could reset mentally too. And what happened from there was I had a massive transformation emotionally. When you can change someone's emotions like and make them feel happy or feel energetic, you have just completely rocked your world with something. So this was in grit. this was like, so this was such a pivotal moment in my life. Like it, compl- I can honestly say that this was a moment where I felt like my life had shifted and like I had saved my life mm-hmm. um, or something saved my life from where I was going. And for me, that was it. I was like, everybody needs to know about this. I know so many people struggling with their food, with with not getting the nutrients that they need, with not um, getting all the vitamins that they need. So for me, I just declared it. It was like, I have to tell everybody about this. And that was a little bit down the road after actually winning. I won three world championships in a matter of a year. And I wasn't really sharing much about isogenics yet because... The coach that I was working with at the time was like, no supplementation, like you have to be all natural. So I was like freaking out because I was pretty impressionable and I was like, I don't want to wreck this relationship. Mm -hmm. And the industry was like not into network marketing at the time. You wanted to be paid by all these other products. And I thought that my career would be ruined if I did network marketing because that was really kind of what was being said without being said. Does that make sense? Like it was like an unspoken like if you sell your soul out to network marketing like you're not going to get ahead in this career right so i was like i'm definitely not doing that and then finally i thought i am waiting for someone to validate me and tell me that i am good enough and i had this moment of i could like just create my own business
0: just do that myself yeah exactly yes Right. But
2: the, there was a lot of backlash in the beginning, and I just thought, stay, stay true to what worked for you. Like this was my truth; it changed my life. And what I was doing was not working. Yeah. And you know what? Even my career, I was maxed out. Like I was trading time for money, and I was maxed out. And I had big visions, and they were pulling me. And where I was and what I was doing was not going to cut it. So you got to look at your life really close. And I had to look at my life really close in this moment of what's my life going to look like in five years if I keep banging my head against the wall, right? Like I'm going to have a massive headache and I'm not going to be anywhere except going backwards. So I thought I have to, I have to just go to a place where I have never gone before and have faith. Like I have to trust the people who are on the other side of this, in this company and creating these businesses and all of these entrepreneurs who have gone before me who say, it's crazy it's hard you're gonna your relationships are about to get rocked your marriage might get rocked your life might get rocked but you know what you're, you're gonna rock your own life anyway if you don't do these things so I had a massive just it's one of those burn the boats moments of
0: you've got to be
2: all in or you're all out it's not gonna move the needle
0: this episode of the show is brought to you by indeed we are driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all it's to match and match with Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Um, Can you kind of talk to me about like the origin of this book and you know, let's give me just one or two key principles that you hope people will
4: take away from it. Totally. Well, I mean, I think basically it started from the, the, not only me feeling it my own life, but then like what you're saying, there's a there's like a trend out there that's starting to just get kind of annoying. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, and you nailed it. Like, working hard is amazing. Working hard is necessary. Uh, We need to work with ambition. We need to work, uh, you know, loving other people and doing it well and with ethics and all that stuff and integrity. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's this like extra layer that's like, I I kind of, uh, uh, hustle's a good kind of uh, catch-all, but also another one that I think it was like the life hack culture. Mm -hmm. You know, you just like, we're so obsessed with like life hacking our life, right? Mm -hmm. Just like the shortcut and do this and you'll do this and make sure you have the MCT oil and the Bulletproof coffee and that and, and I take that by the way, and it gives me brain energy. I love it. Yeah. But like at what point is enough enough? Meaning, like, how many, like my, my question we have to ask is, have we ever come back around to look at the data? You mm. know what I mean? Like, like, okay, we, we have every little life hack that we've almost had in human like like someone from 1500 would just be like blown away at how many little things we can do to our life. Right. And so I just kind of say, like, are we Have we reached, like, we we should have reached perfection by now, basically. If there's so many life hacks, we should have kind of reached the logical conclusion, but we haven't, which kind of shows you it's a little false bill of goods, you Mm -hmm. know, that at some level Mm -hmm. we're chasing something that can't be grabbed, can't be achieved, Mm -hmm. Um, and what is it there? And so there's that, and then, yeah, the book really gets at the spirit of, like, um, man, I think it was Derek Thompson who in the Atlantic, he has just a brilliant, brilliant article called the religious, religion of workism. And he's, you know, non, like he's non religious person. He's just kind of using this language of like, we've almost made work a religion. Yeah. Right. And he, and he really gets into some crazy stats and data in there of like how this is not how it's ever been. Um, and what it's doing to us. And he has this cool phrase in there. Where he goes, you know, for all of human history, work was always about making things, but for the last 40 or so years, work is now about making us. And what he says is we are in a very unique culture where we now, with the only culture in all of human history where work is now no longer about material production, but it's about identity production. Yeah. It's about literally, we don't even care about yeah. our job as much. We care about what the job does for us, like yeah. in our soul, yeah. who it's making us, who it's forming us into be, because we have some idealized version that we're trying to push towards. And, and then- who we...
0: Who we who we like want to be perceived as yes. by other people. Yes, and
4: it's, so then that, that is, and that's identity. It's, yeah. it's who am I? Yeah. We're trying to answer the question, who am I through work? And I just think that's a very, very, very bad thing to do. But it's dangerous. It right. is really dangerous, and too much pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, work is, when it's about making things, that's great. Make things. Honor those things. Honor that job. Be the best you can at that job. But when it's about making us, then that becomes corrosive and toxic on your soul.
0: Yeah, you know uh, Simon Sinek recently wrote a book Love him, by called the, way. the Infinite Game. Yeah, he talks about that how how we're playing this we're playing this game of life like it's a like it's a finite game like yes. a, like our, our career is a finite thing. Yeah. and it's not it's not a finite game. There there is no winner or loser, clear yeah. rules that are. Yeah. done. and and that's the same thing that you were just talking about yeah. is that. We're, we're trying to, we're trying to get other people to perceive us to be a certain way mm-hmm. based on what we think is going to elevate our status in yes. their eyes when there's no like specified rules for what matters, yes. right? Because some people might be like, oh, your salary matters. Other yes. people might be like, oh, your job title matters. Mm-hmm. Oh, your impact matters. So we're like, we're trying to build this life that impresses all these other people without even having a tool yeah, to measure, measure the actual success. Yeah, totally, like, we we don't know what that means. We're just like totally. all competing in this thing. We've all picked out our own values that we perceive to be important, yes. and then that's what we try to portray to other people. So if you view that like. Making money is important. Yes. Then you're going to cast that on me, and because yeah. I don't make as much money as you do, it, the then you're just going to be like, "Well, you're down here, I'm up here, yes. right?" But I might look at you and be like, "Well, I do I do more charity work, and, yeah, and that's exactly. what matters to me, totally. you know." And and you're all you care about is money, so mm-hmm. I'm going to elevate my status above you because I'm a better person than you are, right? Totally. So we all have like these
4: fake. Things yeah, that metrics we
0: measure life by that yeah. really nobody's ever agreed
4: on. <laughs> totally, <laughs> you know? totally. And I and I love Simon Sinek, by the way. He's one of my favorite. I love him as a thought leader, some of the stuff he's saying. It was actually a geek out moment. He's in his new book's in Target, and they put me right next to his in uh, Target. Nice. And I'm just like, yes, I get to be next to Simon like by his. Uh, associate. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully by mine. Um <laughs> but uh yeah, I totally agree, man. And I think and, and and Jesus even kind of gets at this a little bit. You know, 2,000 years ago, you have this gospel text of, uh, of of different pressure groups. You have different religious groups. You have different secular people coming at him with different needs and pressures. Exactly what you said. Like, everyone has different metrics. Mm-hmm. And they're all putting this on Jesus, right? Which is fascinating when you open up the gospels. And then, clearly, there's even a couple stories where that pressure starts to collide And then Jesus says, no, no, there is a metric. There is one. It's not all the ones you're saying. It's not all this. It's not all that. And then he basically says, he says, you can sum up the entire law in this. And it's that you will love God and love neighbor. And I'm like, man, that is a good metric, right? Mm -hmm. To love. To love God, the person in whose image you are made in. But then also to love each other. Because when you're loving each other, then you're not getting into those false sense of metrics like you said, where I make this, you don't. I do this, you don't. Um, and I think that's just fascinating that in its own way, two thousand years ago, that was the same problem, totally. just in a re, really recapitulated way. And I love how he answers: he says, "No, no, it can, it, there is rules, there is things, but it can be summed up in one center, and that's love other people, right? And then yeah. love God, and as, uh, and love your neighbor as yourself." So I think that's huge. Yes.
0: Yeah, so what What are a couple other things that you talked about in the book?
4: So the book, yeah. So first couple chapters, I would almost call the diagnosis, the problem. Uh, you know, there's already been some people mes- messaging me and uh, laughing that like it's rated. You know. Uh, I don't know how to say it. Like, it's like, you know, it's kind of, it's when you go to the dentist, it's painful to get the cavity part. And they're always like, oh, that's a little too painful in the first chapters. But hopefully it's the solutions the the second half. Right. And because um, we have to, you have to truly know the problem, by the way, to know how to solve it. So I think that's why I'm really uh, trying to put some teeth on those first couple chapters. And I go all the way into like industrial revolution. I go back to the invention of the light bulb. I go back to our invention of time. And all of these things actually are, significantly putting us in our moment right now that we don't realize because we're 200 years past it. And when you wake up and you're, you know, and you're an adult, you're like, oh, this just is what it is. But it hasn't always been that way. What are the ramifications of that? So the devil and debt. But then the whole rest of the book is kind of a solution. Every single chapter, I think the last five or six is what I try to argue for uh, five or six practices, I call them, that if you can institute those, they're, they're really, really good acts of resistance against the problem. You know what I mean, mm, okay. so like uh, things like silence, thing like honoring a true Sabbath, like a true day of rest, like turn off your phone, stop working. Um, uh, you know, which culturally, religiously or not, America used to do fifty years ago. You try to go find something open on Sunday, good luck, mm, right? Yeah. Whether you're a Christian or not, that's just that we we understood that you need to shut down. Right. Um, and so, yeah, rest. Sabbath I even tell you there's a whole chapter on obscurity on there like if you, especially with people with platforms you know like us and stuff like that we need to be making a concerted effort to like hide sometimes hmm. and that's a weird way to put it but we do like we do not need to be out in front we do not always need to be seen we do not always need to be known because that does something to our soul where you become this cropped edited version of yourself that's not actually a true robust human image bearer that you are yeah totally
0: I've been in that position before where like you're almost selecting mm-hmm. daily activities based on like what's going to look best on your Instagram. Totally. Or whatever. You yes. Know, like, what, what do my followers want to like, do? Yes. How about, and that, what do I want to do today? Exactly. <laughs> and I think
4: that's a really good point because there's a tension there too. Because I think it's totally fine and fair to share our days, to say where we went to for mm-hmm. fun and all yeah, that stuff. Totally. But here, that is the, the corrosive one is when you start actually crafting your days backwards, meaning mm-hmm. meaning, what do I want to share? then I'm going to go do that. That's different than I went and did something and I'm going to share it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and I think there's actually levels of both of those where sometimes just turn your phone off, phone off anyways, don't share. But the other one you said is even worse. Of like, yeah, we, <laughs> but we don't realize we do it because the more you do it, you start to do it more, right? right you start right, to literally craft activities based on how Instagrammable they are and that's just a weird place to get at. Yeah, just the self-perpetuating yeah. mm-hmm. cycle. That- yeah, it just drains your soul so Totally, you, know, you
0: don't like you said. You don't realize it until yes. so like a few months later. You wake up and yeah. you realize you're
4: not doing it. Well, my well, and here's what to. it does: it dehumanizes and also completely devalues the entire experience in a way where it becomes more commodified. So we live in Maui, <clears throat> Hawaii, and I see this all the time, and I crack up, but it's also really sad. Where like literally, it's kind of that classic you know Instagram husband, Instagram wife thing. Where like we'll be walking. I see it almost every single day and then people just want that classic Maui picture oh, yeah. right just like they're on the beach and and literally I've seen so many times where like this girl's in her bathing suit or whatever and you can tell they just got to the beach she gives the phone to the husband she goes and walks to the edge of the beach and kind of does a pose or a strike yeah. or whatever takes the picture and then they leave and then they bounce yeah exactly <laughs> I'm literally like, and I'm I'm not even, I'm not even, I've probably seen that over a hundred times where the end, and then now think about all the way through. Okay. So then, you know, you're her friend and you get on Instagram a couple days later and you see this picture. looks like they had an amazing time on the beach in Maui. No, they didn't. They did. They literally didn't even spend five seconds on the beach. They didn't swim. They didn't talk. They didn't hang out. They, it was literally a manufactured moment and it's just so weird, right? Like to like see the picture, but then also see how that picture was got, you know? And so, yeah, but we do that more than we think.
0: Yeah, what do you think that does for uh, culture in terms of, like, I, 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 we, we just had our first uh, kid. Uh, yeah. He's about six months old now. Congrats. Yeah, thank What's you. What's his name? That. Cameron. Cameron, cool. Yeah, so a lot of this stuff is now in my mind. 100%. And it was not before. Yes. Um, so what, what do you think that does for culture in terms of kids' self-esteem? Like, not necessarily like I'm like I'm a grown adult, totally right. So we can handle. A Instagram more. came out. Yeah. I was I think a freshman in college. Totally, you know. So like by the time it was there, it, my feelings weren't as yeah, attached. to it. it's gonna it. be native and, to them, natural to them. Yeah, as a kid, like you, if you grow up with that, oh, and yeah. you're seeing that kind of stuff. You know, well they they're here. You're you're seeing everybody's highlight reel yes. and not seeing any of their failures, and you're comparing your failures to their totally own, like mountaintops. totally.
4: What does that do? Uh, There's so many different ways i I like to answer that one. I think one, what I would say is, yeah, what it first does is it just commodifies all of our experiences that shouldn't be—like human experiences can't be measured or distilled in a laboratory, but we're kind of doing a pseudo version of that when we do this. It's like we want to make it transactional, make it commodified. So that's the first thing I would say. Second thing is, yeah, I'm going to get this stat wrong because I just read it, but it was something to the effect of, like, I just read it the other day where it's like <laughs> your anxiety and your depression like dissipates by like 50% if you, like in people that they measured turning their phone off for a week or something like that. You know? I mean, like, mm-hmm, they basically okay. just said get away from your phone and see if that actually changes your mental health and lo and behold, it changes your mental health, right? Mm-hmm. It's literally, and mental health is serious and is internal and there's ones mm-hmm. that's way more chronic and way more serious so it sometimes can't be solved by turning off your phone. But there's a lot yeah, on like think? this low grade level that I think 100% can.
0: No, well, it, it has to be, right? Yes. Of, I mean, the U.S. is the most culturally advanced country arguably in the totally. world, right? But we're also the leader in mental health yes, illnesses. Yes, exactly. Like we are the leader in anxiety, depression. Exactly, jealousy, all exactly. those things. It's because we as humans like look for problems. Totally, we have to have problems. Totally. So when our problem is no longer where am I going to get my next meal? Yes. Then we start
4: manufacturing all these other problems. Hundred percent. Like I posted this picture. Yes. I only got
0: twelve likes, and last yeah. week I we got almost thirty five.
4: Yeah, we almost like have. It's exactly right. We have too much time on our hands to now make problems out of things that are kind of like such ridiculous problems, right. right? Instead of driving, we're on the back of an Uber. Yes, right? like, exactly. Instead of driving to get something to eat, we exactly. get it delivered. Exactly. Front, right? Yeah, one thing yeah. I would say that is, and, but then back to your point about uh, your son, but then also just coming up in the next generation of social media and like, lo- comparing failures to your best. There's a couple analogies that help me, or one that specifically, and I think one thing is we need to do is like, we need to not get upset at the people that do share the highlight reel, because that's like a normal part of life, right? I think sometimes we go one way or the other. We just get like, oh, you're only sharing your highlights, because there's a weird kickback in culture that's the opposite right now. So we're like, oh, you only share your highlights, you only share the good stuff, and it's like, well, I'm not going to show myself like barfing at the in the toilet. But there's a weird culture right now that's trying to push that back. That's totally, yeah. like, and it's like totally the be vulnerable, be transparent. You know, like just right. say everything that's wrong with your marriage and your life. It's like, no, don't take that to the internet. That doesn't belong there. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's just as wrong. And yeah. I, so I think there's these two sides right now of like when you craft and manufacture it, that's wrong. When you're, um, but then when you're also saying like you know, be vulnerable, be vulnerable, be vulnerable online, I think that's wrong too, right? Because there's a, that, that's that's not that space. And another way to think about it is, I think it's really helpful to think of social media like a family photo book, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Okay, so if you go into someone's family, uh, someone's living room, they usually have a family photo book. Now, if you pick up that family photo book, it's probably just highlights, right? Right, And there's nothing wrong with that, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing wrong with having a book that represents your family's highlights. There's no one, you know, if grandma drunk or someone throwing up, like it's not in there. Right. Um why? Because there's something about narratives too that I think we're narrative creatures. We like to remember certain narratives and it's okay to have the highlights. Where that, where the family photo book gets problematic or where we would make it problematic is what if actually, because back to the first of all, you go in the house, you look at the family photo book, you learn the family, that's so cool. You look at it maybe in six months. Where the photo book would be really problematic is if you live in a home where you wake up and you pick up the photo book and you just read it every single day. And then five minutes later, you go back to it. And then you, you bite something and f- f- go back to it. You eat something, you go back to it. You drink some coffee, you go back to it. Then you would start saying like, oh yeah, that person is probably getting a really, really, really seriously distorted view right. of what they think that family's narrative is. Mm-hmm. But is the problem the family's narrative? No. The problem is they shouldn't be looking at a photo book seven hours a day. Right. Right? And so then it it's, it's kind
0: still, of on the consumer side right there. It turns into this internal game of then like, Man, today sucks. Yes. If I remember this day. Yeah, you're like, we that were, was Disneyland. We were in, yeah, exactly. In Maui. Yes. And we, we were on the beach 100%. and we took that picture. You yeah. Know? But and if, now I'm just sitting in my living room.
4: Yes. Yeah. So, so I think that, because I don't, that's a, I think it's a really helpful analogy because we do these weird one or the others when well, that one kind of answers both, right? Of like, it's okay to share the highlights, but be honest, you're not manufacturing pictures. You're not just going to Disneyland for the picture. Right. You went to Disneyland, you took a picture. So that's fair. But then on the second one, it's like, yeah, we have to also really reckon with like, it's usually, not always, usually sometimes the, the person who's holding the phone, it's, it's 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 there, what it is, it's like, we've been looking at the photo book too much. So put it down and go do real life.
3: Right.
0: Hey, hey, thanks for listening to this episode. That's it for today. As you all know, this show is completely free. Our only ask is that if you found anything valuable in this episode or in any of the episodes that you've listened to, then share it with somebody else and leave us a quick rating review in whatever platform you're listening to right now. It would be super, super helpful for us. Uh, So that's it for today, guys. Thanks so
3: much for tuning in. Catch you next time.